Hello, welcome to another episode of Sourced Property Podcast. This podcast is the first of two parts and has been recorded with Sourced Managing Director Stephen Moss and the owner of over 195 HMO rooms nearest Takar. This podcast is about how to build a HMO empire. Hi guys, thank you for joining us. I'm very fortunate tonight that I just get to ask the questions and, and listen to your experience and your background with the the number of rooms that you have in the HMO world and, and the empire that you've built. So most people in the property sector know HMOs. They want to be involved in HMOs. So when they come across somebody like yourself who's reached such a high level with it, people won't understand and learn from the best ultimately. So could you introduce yourself and can you tell us a bit about yourself and your experience in the HMO world? Really, I've worked for myself all my life, had some businesses that didn't do very well. And then I like to say ran out of ways to lose money. Then I had a few successful businesses, which I've exited. Lux Home was the first one. So that's a premium student accommodation brand, another HMO brand uh, that I co-founded. That's now got a board. It's now growing very strongly. Rent roll in that circa is a million a year and growing very, very fast. Got an MD in there who's actually my brother and partner and I remain a shareholder and experiences of that HMO learning that we started back in the 90s realized the most important thing was was capital and then set up Luxury Hub which is a another HMO brand a professional co-living I don't use the word HMO I don't like it so I call it co-living which essentially is what Luxury Hub is what we currently have is a construction development and management company for our own portfolio and for investors. So that's really a little bit about my background, Steve. Fantastic. I mean, straight away already, it's quite interesting some of the points you, you've made because in terms of quite a lot of the guys that I deal with who have large portfolios of HMOs, they seem to have the, the same view that it's not HMOs, it's co-living and that's an, an approach. So is there a particular reason that you feel or is that better suited to what you offer? I think it's the stigma that a lot of people associate with HMOs, both in, you know, houses around, there's a stigma there and and there's a stigma or a stereotype within the market from valuers, for example, or not another person who wants to do HMOs, but probably most importantly for the tenants, you know, they, they don't like to feel they're living in an HMO. It's a community that we've created for our tenants and the way that we screen them, et cetera. So that's why we call it a co-living brand. It genuinely is. Yeah. And you mentioned obviously starting in the sort of 19, 1990s, was it? You yeah, got into the sector. Mid 90s. So, how did that kind of come about? Were you involved in property before, or was it an opportunity that you saw, or did you go straight into HMOs, or where did it all kind of begin? I had another business at the time. And like a lot of people, you know, they get to the point where they think they've got an amount of capital that they want to start. So, I started with an amount of capital. I didn't put it all in at once. I had about 250K, me and my partner. And then trial and error ended us to the HMO model, really trying different models and different sectors. And then over a period of a couple of years, I like to call it a soft launch in a business, you know, established a model that worked for us, which was student and of a higher quality. So initially the model was for bank of mum and dad students, wealthy overseas students, and eventually it became a, a standard for all students. So that's how we ended up there. It's trial and error, really. And, and the trial and error is about getting your maximum return on investment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's something that's an area or, or certainly a, a part of the learning or the process that a lot of people skip or they they don't kind of build into their plan, you know, appreciating yeah. 
that there are a lot of strategies, there are a lot of opportunities out there. And sometimes you can kind of have that, you know, shiny syndrome where you're chasing all the different options and all the different opportunities, whereas it's better to kind of go through the process and test, you know, see what the results are, see what the demand's like. And it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to get involved in such an early stage, an early time. So I'm presuming the HMO market when you first got involved was very much the sort of shared facilities and you've kind of changed and developed with the times over the past what, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, um, that's the model you've got um, now. You know, the typical old student model back then or any HMO was you want your feet on the way out. As we like yeah. uh, and it's got, you know, it's gone a million miles from there. I mean, the only thing I would say, Steve, is, you know, I'm specifically talking about my model. You know, I'd like to say that, you know, there's no one model that fits all. You know, there's multiple models. Yeah we just sense that was the way to go so you know i'm telling you based on my experience i'll caveat that you know i'm not saying this is the only model that works this is the model that's worked for me successfully yeah yeah absolutely and, and that's the whole idea of tonight is it's really to educate people just about really what you've achieved what your model is and, and as i said at the beginning it's nice for people to see what people have achieved in the business and, and, and the sector because it's it, it is fantastic to get to the sort of level of you know it's 190 is it 195 rooms or just over yeah the, yeah, the, the luxury hogsome portfolio has already exceeded that you know you, you, you're asking about do i think of the hmo market i mean i think it's a it's a lucrative market for for achieving yields but it's evolving it's changing all the time you know for me it's essential it's, it's a community feel lockdown has taken us to a, to a point where you know we're moving it to a, a co-working model as well so, right know, okay in space and for, to allow people you know they need more space so that's important so it's moving and it's changing all the time you know some of the not not frustration some of the interesting comments that i get from people all the time is this no money down dream you know put your money in rinse and repeat and um, that's not my model so yeah. you know i get asked that but that'll probably come clear a little bit later on if I tell you about the brand. People think you can just pull your money out by waving a magic wand because the fact that it's an HMO. Don't get me wrong. You know, we, we have done that in the past. You know, if you're buying distressed assets, clearly that works. You're in a correction. The market's moving down. You've got opportunities then. Uh, certain regions. So, so mo no money down is possible. You know, if you go into industrial leisure conversions into HMO or any product we'll, or selling them. That, that's not our model. We, we heavily reinvest in our properties uh, and we focus on areas where we can get higher prices and uh, property prices are rising. Yeah, fantastic. It's interesting you, you say that about the kind of no money down because I know we've had this conversation in the past and you're right, every single investor and I'm sure some of the guys that are watching this as well will, will be looking for that opportunity and I think we kind of, you know, knock some figures around between us when we were talking last time in terms of those no money down deals. They they do exist. Yeah, it's probably one in every fifteen, maybe twenty deals, mm. and that's that the kind of ratio. And I know when when we're talking to um, partner franchisees that that join and work with us to to build uh, HMO portfolios, that's one of the key things you've kind of got to get across because there's so much education out there talking about this no money down no money down or rinse and repeat model um you've got to have some equity uh also you know liquid cash to be able to to build a portfolio successfully and as you build in scale you'll hit those ones that you know you might get it earlier it might not be one every 15 you might be lucky and get one in five for the first couple but ultimately yeah. it's about having a bit of a mix isn't it and, and be prepared to put some equity in as well 
Yeah, definitely. But I think, you know, we do what, what our strategy is. We will, I, I look at it losing the battle and winning the war. So, you know, you, you leave equity in each asset. So that's your battle, but you win the war, you know, every 24 to 30, 36 months, you refinance and you've got yeah. the track record, you've got your portfolio, prices have gone up. Hopefully you've had an equity, uh, you know, a capital and debt repayment. So, you know, you, you, you're building equity and you refinance and you go again. I think there are ways to do it. It, but not like you said not on every property i love the uh the battle and the war situation it fits quite well doesn't it very nice that so obviously you've been in the sector for a long time one of the things that i do love about yourself and every time we have these chats is the the passion you talk about with your brand and we'll come to the brand shortly what i'd like to understand and i know people are going to be thinking the same thing is you know what are your thoughts on the hmo market now you've talked about how it's changing through cycles where are we now and where do you think it's going to be in the next five years in terms of any changes and, and obviously coming out of the, the COVID situation as well? You know, a lot of people are, okay, it's it's a done model, it doesn't work, but it's evolving all the time. I mean, lockdown, COVID has just shown us working from home. You know, I have an office in, in Manchester and in uh, we've just opened a new mass office in Stockport. I don't, I don't need to go in, our staff don't go in. And yep. you just look at that, we look at our tenants, they're all working from home. They want more space. The opportunity, I think, is extending because it's not necessarily just major city town centres that we've looked at in the past. People can live a little bit further away from where they work. You know, what I'm saying now is probably typical of of most people. My son works in, in London. Um, he's been working in his bedroom. So, you know, that's yeah. worked really well. I would say that, you know, issues that we've had in the pandemic, challenges that have turned into opportunity, so, you know, virtual viewings, remote check-ins, you know, technology is playing a big part. It always has in the HMO market, but I think it's it, it's moving a lot, a lot faster. You know, you know we, yep. we've really invested heavily in marketing and marketing messages for our tenants. So in terms of that, right, okay. I would say location is very, very good. And, and secondly, I think there's a there's a there's a co-working model. So, so there's an opportunity to design or, or work with partners who may have some smaller office space. That's something that we're looking at quite interestingly. So you, so you mentioned this a moment ago about the co-working space. And, you know, has this kind of been born from COVID-19 in terms of people working from home and having a kind of communal area that you can go in, do the work, and then go back into their, their space for more social, more... Uh, living space and, and having that all kind of linked together is that that the thought process yeah. that you've got from that exactly you know they'll need a they'll need a quiet there needs to be a quieter room in the house you know yep. town proofed you know call it a library or a zoom room where, yep. where they can they can work quietly and, and, and have meetings where they're not in their bedroom um, and it's a little bit more professional for them so that that sort of model and realizing that people are working remotely and will continue to you know my our, our business in both of the businesses, we're allowing people to work remote. We're only keeping the office for company culture for new starters. Other yeah. than that, you know, it's a great to have a remote business that yeah. works efficiently. And I think yeah. that's across all sectors, not just ours. Yeah, no, no, completely. I think every business now, I mean, I, I'm, I'm of the old kind of mindset of, you know, I've had staff come to me in the past and say, you know, I, I want to work so many days a week from home. And I've always kind of had this mindset of, well, you need to be in the office. I need to see you working. Any whereas now, completely different, yeah. you know, change and approach in terms of, I can see the guys are putting just as much work in. We're still hitting the targets. We're still growing. So for me, 
you know, if it makes their life easier and it and it works for for everybody, then fantastic. You know, it's something to encourage. It's interesting that 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 kind of work life balance as well. That there's only one company. I'm sure there are, there are lots, but there's one I particularly remember that that did something. And it was well ahead of COVID. It was kind of like a new trial thing that they did, um, Signature Living. They produced a, a kind of small block of uh, apartments with li- with workspace underneath. And they were, you know, they, they were sold immediately, really, really popular. It's just something that, you know, it didn't roll out at the time or it didn't kind of catch on. But I imagine now units like that would be very, very popular given, given the circumstances. Definitely. So I think there's opportunities there, definitely. And there'll be new models that will come out really, really yeah. soon. And it's just staying on top of them. So one of the things I know people are going to want to know is, you know, obviously, I don't know if you can kind of give us a taste of where your business is based and what sort of coverage it gives or, or spread and and how you assess an area, how you look at an area and say, right, okay, we're going to move into this territory or we're going to take more properties in this territory that were already existing. in. Is, is there a, a kind of recipe that you have or a process that you follow? I mean, what, what I would say is in terms of areas where inside the M60 and then South Cheshire, so, you know, we get asked a lot of times to, to manage stuff out of area and we, we won't because we can't offer the service levels until we've, we've got two offices now until we open another office so we can offer those really, you know, high levels of service that we want to offer. But when we're moving into a new area, I mean, this is based on my model, not just HMOs. So it's, you know, you know we're, we're a higher market rental brand. And um, so our KPIs are your standard HMO concepts, minimum walk to major transport, you know, major employment. You know, it used to be the size of the, the, the town centre. That's not as important now with the with the remote working. Competition is key. Test and measure everything. So we look at the demand for our product and we do that with, you know, there's ways you can do, you know, ghost adverts and checking the number of prospects that we get. And we already know our internal conversion to let's. So, so those are those are some things that we do. It's not just, okay, you know, let's just put an advert on spare rooms that a lot of people do. Oh, we've had a few, we've had a few adverts as other people. It's a little bit more, you know, there's a little bit more methodology to that. And then that's reported. And then we'll say, okay, we'll test it and we'll trial it. And that's essentially uh, what we'll do for us. We're probably, I'm making it sound a little bit more relaxed, but because we understand our model and we understand our rental, once we know the demands there, everything else is just built on your, you know, your standard uh, KPIs for, for building really. Have you, have you found more competition for sort of online? You mentioned before about competition and just, just out of interest more than anything else, because I've been looking at an online agent today um, to sell some properties we've got and just kind of popped into my head. But have you found more competition with the online model? Is that kind of creeping into the sector as well? Or is it, is it more your traditional letting agents moving into the co, co-living brand that you, you put or the HVO market? I, I, it's really, really interesting. I think, you know, different areas have got different competitors but it's that you know the majority of the marketing's online even the even the offline letting agents are advertising online so we do a lot of the online assessment we'll you know we'll walk the areas etc to assess what's been advertised but that you know the competition is all you know i would say it's 90 online the people who are doing it really well are, are very good on social media and other elements online notice boards etc Right. Okay. And in terms of when we're talking, obviously about looking at areas and competition and, you know, when you're looking at a new area, what sort of the analysis you do on um, the the area itself, how does that differ from the the properties? I mean, do you you approach it from, you've seen a really good property and potentially that could be 
converted and then you start looking at the area or are you very much you know we look at the area then we move into the types of, and is there a particular type of property that you'll aim for and, and target so we do it two ways so we do it from the numbers point so accounts will do it from the total costs you know we assess our total costs against our rent and then we'll look at our return on capital employed over 24 months so like i was saying you know you like the battle versus war you know we look at okay so what's going to happen in the market over 24 months when we do our refinance and get our money out as opposed to just looking at the the you know a lot of people look at the property but what will happen when i refinance we know you always leave money in but we also know what's happening to the values because we're always selling you know, the whole reason we, we don't want to sell at the moment, but the whole reason we're selling out to institutions at the moment, we, we know what, what yield we can sell out at. So, you know, there's those numbers that we look at essentially in terms of build costs against rent and then locate and then marketing will look at location of the building. Can we build a luxury hub property in that area? That's something that I always say. Is that area capable of taking a luxury hub property? So that means the external spec. You know, I'll give you an example. You know, we have outside decking areas, outside heaters. There might be a little, you know, cover. There'll be outside charging points. You know, it's quite high spec and it's yeah. moving up all the time. So will the area meet the criteria of the tenant that we're renting to? And that's, again, you know, tenant demand. Yeah. Um, has to be there in the first place. And will they like the area we go into? So that's key. And those are things that sit above the initial things that we said about, you know, employment in an area and major transport links and competition. Do you, do you ever look, obviously, you know, your experienced developer conversions, et cetera. Do you ever look at HMOs? And I know this is something that we find quite often that when people think of uh, HMOs, that they kind of go automatically to HMO that's converted, one that's done. Okay, it might need a lick of paint, but ultimately it's done, it's converted, it's running. And that seems to be like the go-to, whereas we generally, when we're working with partners, we educate them to look at, okay, if there's one there and it's done and it's and it's operating, why not buy next door, convert it, get the uplift? Do, do you have an approach where will you look at existing HMOs or you're very much, you're looking for that uplift in value and, and to do it to your sort of level and standards to meet the brand? When you say me, because we're so experienced and we've got a full-time build team, we just go from from asset to asset, but looking at, you know, existing units is a really, really good way to reduce your risk. You know, if, you, if you're unsure about it and you want to do it, that's a good way to buy something and then maybe looking at improving it. So, you know, there are times we look at stuff that's been done really, really badly or they've got high voids or they're, in, they're an older landlord and they're retiring. You know, we, we get a lot of people, existing HMOs where they've just been run very, very badly. And you know, when you say badly, of... they've not had the reinvestment. Is that what your class is badly? Because that, that's one of the biggest downfalls, yeah. isn't it? Totally, totally. They haven't invested in the depreciation. You know, it's like your own house. You know, you can't live in your house for, for 10 years and not expect to do any repairs. And if if you bought it new, you know, probably when you get to year five, year six, you're starting to have to reinvest. If you bought it old, you're probably investing from day one. Uh, yeah. And that's it because of the lack of reinvestment in the in the asset. So yeah, we will look at those definitely and see if we can uplift them. And you build that into your kind of phase and model and, and map in terms of the reinvestment. Uh, you know, as part of the, do you class that as an operational cost or how do you actually map that into your your strategy? Uh, well, so when we're looking at our, you know, the, in terms of KPIs, we'll look at our yield on total development costs. So that's what I said before, without getting too technical, you know, your total costs 
against your rent, divide one into the other, and you've got your yield. When, when we look at that yield, we won't go, wow, great. Okay, so let's say we achieve 14%. So that means cost us 100 grand and we got 14 pounds of rent for every 100 pounds we spent. What yep. we'll do is we'll allocate a percentage of that for reinvestment. And that'll be allocated every year. And what we used to do is we used to wait to deploy it. Now we deploy it all the time. So they'll, they'll, even though your maintenance might only be 2 or 3%, We'll we'll be investing an extra three or four percent, yeah, on top of that, and and that's consistent. So we never get to the point where oh dear, we have to change a boiler, yeah, etc. And that, that's really really important. That's how you maintain it. Most people, when they get to year ten, it's so run down that that their their income's gone down, and they may look to sell it. Where we're continually reinvesting. That's interesting. One of the interesting things that you've just mentioned there is is we have an ongoing battle in uh, the office in terms of. Um, you know, when I look at things and calculate them, I'm always yield, 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 whereas Chris is always ROI, ROI. And it seems to be a, um, you know, a, a kind of split depending on how long you've been in the business. A lot of people, are, a lot of people who've been doing it for a bit longer, talk more sort of along the, the yield general basis as such. Um, so it's quite interesting here you he, talking about that as well. Going back to the, the, the kind of situation we're in now and the whole COVID situation, I know we, we and, and I know we've touched on this uh, before when we've spoken in terms of the last sort of twelve months and the hurdles that you've had, which which is fantastic the way that you've turned them into opportunities. But one of the hurdles, and, and a lot of people are watching this now, are going to be probably facing these hurdles. Is you know how have you found the funding? At, at, given the current circumstances, have you found it more difficult, more challenging as your approach changed or, you know, given the fact that it's locked down or investors are a little bit scared of what to do and, or banks are closing doors or changing rates. How, how have you found it personally from actively um, putting deals together all, over the COVID period? That's a really good one. I mean, when we went through the first, well, not the first, the last correction in, um, Oh, let's talk about the one in the in 2007. So we went through that correction in 2007. That's back in the Northern Rock days of 110% mortgages. And then all of a sudden that's tightened. And then it goes down to, you know, you know, 60%. And then it slowly crept up again. We really, really learned from that. And that's why we've got a strategy where we don't over leverage. It's quite careful. So we'll go to uh, 70% on development and 75% on buy to let. So when I say development, if we're doing a development, an apartment scheme or something, we'll only go at 70. And yeah. then we'll go at 75 on the buy to let because we found at the time working with Lloyd's, those were the rates that are never very, very conservative. And they always said to us, when the market changes, we'll keep those rates. So we thought, well, okay, you know, we've got some of the assets in with some of the more boutique lenders who will punch it up at higher higher levels but we've consistently said stayed at that however assuming we wouldn't have an issue however even they've brought down their percentages by about five percent to 65 on development and, and 70 on buy to let so so what we tend to do is at times like this we're investing ourselves but it's a long-term game you know the operating revenues are there the debt serviceability is there and we know it'll come back so it's that thing of okay it might not be 24 months it'll be it'll be 36 months now is a great time to get in you know if those lenders aren't lending and you've got the capital it's a great time to get in because you can deploy that capital with lower loan to values yeah. um, and then you can refinance when the market returns and it will return you know i think it's going to return quite quickly based on 
the way the government's um, driving and, and fueling things. So again, I see it as an opportunity. Uh, it's just difficult for people who haven't been in the market. Yeah, and probably some of those guys are listening today, and it's probably worth mentioning and touching on that, really, isn't it? Because a lot of lenders, it, 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 well, firstly, it's interesting what you say about Lloyd's and how they've changed their criteria after such a long period. But, you know, lenders that or investors that are coming into the market now, lenders generally want to see experience, don't they? Or you've got to put a huge amount of money down or have somebody come on board with the property with you, a JV, a partnership, or... You know, there's all kinds of different structures going around the market, generally speaking. But it seems to be lenders across the board have taken a stance that you need to have some kind of investment or buy-to-let experience before they'll let yeah, you take I think, on. I think that's so, so important. They've gone down this route of HMOs is no different from any business, and it's taken the banks a long time to treat yeah. business. You know, the high street banks say they're closed for lending. They're not. They're lending to, they're lending to property businesses that show they've got a team so they look at you have you got a team have you got you know a marketing department you know a, a build department so, so they're looking at it a little bit more sophisticated it shouldn't put you off you just have to have that attitude and, and build that up over time or, or like you said work with the right partners yeah yeah exactly um so obviously one of the hi guys thank you for joining us i'm very fortunate tonight that i just get to ask the questions and and listen to your experience and your background with the the number of rooms that you have in the HMO world and, and the empire that you've built. So most people in the property sector know HMOs. They want to be involved in HMOs. So when they come across somebody like yourself who's reached such a high level with it, people will understand and learn from the best ultimately. So could you introduce yourself and can you tell us a bit about yourself and your experience in the HMO world? Really, I've worked for myself all my life, had some businesses that didn't do very well. And then I like to say ran out of ways to lose money. Then I had a few successful businesses, which I've exited. Lux Home was the first one. So that's a premium student accommodation brand, another HMO brand uh, that I co-founded. That's now got a board. It's now growing very strongly. Rent roll in that circa is a million a year and growing very, very fast. Got an MD in there who's actually my brother and partner and I remain a shareholder and experiences of that HMO learning that we started back in the 90s realized the most important thing was was capital and then set up Luxury Hub which is a another HMO brand a professional co-living I don't use the word HMO I don't like it so I call it co-living which essentially is what Luxury Hub is what we currently have is a construction development and management company for our own portfolio and for investors. So that's really a little bit about my background, Steve. Fantastic. I mean, straight away already, it's quite interesting some of the points you, you've made because in terms of quite a lot of the guys that I deal with who have large portfolios of HMOs, they seem to have the, the same view that it's not HMOs, it's co-living and that's an, an approach. So is there a particular reason that you feel or is that better suited to what you offer? And- I think it's the stigma that a lot of people associate with HMOs, both in, you know, houses around, there's a stigma there and and there's a stigma or a stereotype within the market from valuers, for example, or not another person who wants to do HMOs, but probably most importantly for the tenants, you know, they, they don't like to feel they're living in an HMO. It's a community that we've created for our tenants and the way that we screen them, et cetera. So that's why we call it a co-living brand. It genuinely is. Yeah. And you mentioned obviously starting in the sort of 19, 1990s, was it? You yeah, got into the sector. Mid 90s. So, how did that kind of come about? Were you involved in property before, or was it an opportunity that you saw, or did you go straight into HMOs, or where did it all kind of begin? I had another business at the time. And like a lot of people, you know, they get to the point where they think they've got an amount of capital 
that they want to start. So I started with an amount of capital. I didn't put it all in at once. I had about 250K, me and my partner. And then trial and error ended us to the HMO model, really trying different models and different sectors. And then over a period of a couple of years, I like to call it a soft launch in a business, you know, established a model that worked for us, which was student and of a higher quality. So initially the model was for bank of mom and dad students, wealthy overseas students, and eventually it became a, a standard for all students. So that's how we ended up there. It's trial and error, really. And, and the trial and error is about getting your maximum return on investment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's something that's an area or, or certainly a, a part of the learning or the process that a lot of people skip or they they don't kind of build into their plan, you know, appreciating yeah. that there are a lot of strategies, there are a lot of opportunities out there. And sometimes you can kind of have that, you know, shiny syndrome where you're chasing all the different options and all the different opportunities, whereas it's better to kind of go through the process and test, you know, see what the results are, see what the demand's like. And it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to get involved in such an early stage, an early time. So I'm presuming the HMO market when you first got involved was very much the sort of shared facilities and you've kind of changed and developed with the times over the past, what, 10, 15, 20 years. That's the model you've got now. You know, the typical old student model back then, or any HMO was, you want your feet on the way out, as we like to call it. And it's got, you know, it's gone a million miles from there. I mean, the only thing I would say, Steve, is, you know, I'm specifically talking about my model. You know, I'd like to say that, you know, there's no one model that fits all. You know, there's multiple models we just sensed that was the way to go. So, you know, I'm telling you based on my experience, I'll caveat that, you know, I'm not saying this is the only model that works. This is the model that's worked for me successfully. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the whole idea of tonight is, is really to educate people just about really what you've achieved, what your model is. And, and as I said at the beginning, it's nice for people to see what people have achieved in the business and, and, and the sector because it's, it, it is fantastic to get to the sort of level of, you know, it's 190, is it 195 rooms or just yeah, over? The, yeah, the, the luxury Hogsound portfolio's already exceeded that. You know, you, you, you're asking about do I think of the HMO market. I mean, I think it's a... It's a lucrative market for for achieving yields, but it's evolving. It's changing all the time. You know, for me, it's essential. It's, it's a community feel. Lockdown has taken us to a, to a point where, you know, we're moving it to a, a, a co-working model as well. So, you right, know, okay. In space and for, to allow people, you know, they need more space. So that's important. So it's moving and it's changing all the time. You know, some of the, not, not frustration, some of the interesting comments that I get from people all the time is this no money down dream. You know, put your money in, rinse and repeat. Um, that's not my model. So, yeah. you know, I get asked that, but that'll probably come clear a little bit later on if I tell you about the brand. People think you can just pull your money out by waving a magic wand because the fact that it's an HMO. Don't get me wrong. You know, we, we have done that in the past. You know, if you're buying distressed assets, clearly that works. You're in a correction. The market's moving down. You've got opportunities then. Uh, certain regions so so mo- no money down is possible you know if you go into industrial leisure conversions into hmo or any product we'll, or selling them that that's not our model we, we heavily reinvest in our properties uh, and we focus on areas where we can get higher prices and uh, property prices are rising yeah fantastic it's interesting you, you say that about the kind of no money down because i know we've had this conversation in the past and you're right, every single investor, and I'm sure some of the guys that are watching this as well will will be looking for that opportunity. And I think 
we kind of, you know, knock some figures around between us when we were talking last time in terms of those no money down deals, they, they do exist. Yeah. It's probably one in every 15, maybe 20 deals. Mm. And that's that the kind of ratio. And I know when, when we're talking to um, partner franchisees that, that join and work with us to, to build uh, HMO portfolios, that's one of the key things you've kind of got to get across because there's so much education out there talking about this no money down, no money down or rinse and repeat model. Um, you've got to have some equity uh, or you know, liquid cash to be able to, to build a portfolio successfully. And as you build and scale, you'll hit those ones that, you know, you might get it earlier. It might not be one every 15. You might be lucky and get one in five for the first couple, but ultimately it's about having a bit of a mix, isn't it? And and be prepared to put some equity in as well. Yeah, definitely. But I think, you know, we do what our strategy is. We will, I I look at it losing the battle and winning the war. So, you know, you, you leave equity in each asset. So that's your battle, but you win the war you know, every 24 to 30, 36 months, you refinance and you've got yeah. the track record, you've got your portfolio, prices have gone up. Hopefully you've had an equity, uh, you know, a capital and debt repayment. So, you know, you, you're building equity and you refinance and you go again. I think there are ways to do it, but not like you said, not on every property. I love the uh, the battle and the war situation. It fits quite well, doesn't it? Very nice. That. So obviously you've been in the sector for a long time. One of the things that I do love about yourself and every time we have these chats is the, the passion you talk about with your brand. And we'll come to the brand shortly. What I'd like to understand, and I know people are going to be thinking the same thing, is you know what are your thoughts on the HMO market now? You've talked about how it's changing through cycles. Where are we now and where do you think it's going to be in the next five years in terms of any changes and, and obviously coming out of the, the COVID situation as well? You know, a lot of people are, okay, it's it's a done model, it doesn't work, but it's evolving all the time. I mean, lockdown, COVID has just shown us working from home. You know, I have an office in, in Manchester and in uh, we've just opened a new mass office in Stockport. I don't, I don't need to go in, our staff don't go in. And yep. you just look at that, we look at our tenants, they're all working from home. They want more space. The opportunity, I think, is extending because it's not necessarily just major city town centres that we've looked at in the past. People can live a little bit further away from where they work. You know, what I'm saying now is probably typical of of most people. My son works in, in London. Um, he's been working in his bedroom. So, you know, that's yeah. worked really well. I would say that, you know, issues that we've had in the pandemic, challenges that have turned into opportunity, so, you know, virtual viewings, remote check-ins, you know, technology is playing a big part. It always has in the HMO market, but I think it's it, it's moving a lot, a lot faster. You know, you know we, yep. we've really invested heavily in marketing and marketing messages for our tenants. So in terms of that, right. I would say location is very, very good. And, and secondly, I think there's a there's a there's a co-working model. So, so there's an opportunity to design or, or work with partners who may have some smaller office space. That's something that we're looking at quite interestingly. So you, so you mentioned this a moment ago about the co-working space. And, you know, has this kind of been born from COVID-19 in terms of people working from home and having a kind of communal area that you can go in, do the work, and then go back into their, their space for more social, more... Uh, living space and, and having that all kind of linked together is that that the thought process yeah. that you've got from that exactly you know they'll need a they'll need a quiet there needs to be a quieter room in the house you know yep. town proofed you know call it a library or a zoom room where, yep. where they can they can work quietly and, and and have meetings where they're not in their bedroom 
um, and it's a little bit more professional for them. So that that sort of model and realizing that people are working remotely and will continue to, you know, my our, our business in, in both of the businesses, we're allowing people to work remote. We're only keeping the office for company culture for new starters. Other yeah. than that, you know, it's a great to have a remote business that yeah. works efficiently. And I think yeah. that's across all sectors, not just ours. Yeah, no, no, completely. I think every business now. I mean, I, I'm. I'm of the old kind of mindset of, you know, I've had staff come to me in the past and say, you know, I, I want to work so many days a week from home. And I've always kind of had this mindset of, well, you need to be in the office. I need to see you working. And he, whereas now completely different, yeah. you know, change and approach in terms of, I can see the guys are putting just as much work in. We're still hitting the targets. We're still growing. So for me, you know, if it makes their life easier and it, and it works for, for everybody, then fantastic. You know, it's something to encourage. It's interesting that that, that, kind of work life balance as well that there's only one company i'm sure there are, there are lots but there's one i particularly remember that that did something and it was well ahead of covid it was kind of like a new trial thing that they did um, signature living they produced a, a kind of small block of uh, apartments with live with workspace underneath and they were you know they, they were sold immediately really really popular it's just something that you know it didn't roll out at the time or it didn't kind of catch on but I imagine now units like that will be very, very popular given given Absolutely. the circumstances. Absolutely. So I think there's opportunities there, definitely. And there'll be new models that will come out really, really yeah. soon and it's just staying on top of them. So one of the things I know people are going to want to know is, you know, obviously, I don't know if you can kind of give us a taste of where your business is based and what sort of coverage it gives or, or spread and, and how you assess an area, how you look at an area and say, right, okay, we're going to move into this territory or we're going to take more properties in this territory that were already existing. Is, is there a, a kind of recipe that you have or a process that you follow? I mean, what, what I would say is in terms of areas where inside the M60 and then South Cheshire, so, you know, we get asked a lot of times to, to manage stuff out of area and we we won't because we can't offer the service levels until we've we've got two offices now until we open another office so we can offer those really you know high levels of service that we want to offer but when we're moving into a new area i mean this is based on my model not just hmos so it's you know you know when we're a higher market rental brand and so our kpis are your standard hmo concepts minimum walk to major transport you know major employment you know, it used to be the size of the, the, the town centre. That's not as important now with the with the remote working. Competition is key. Test and measure everything. So we look at the demand for our product and we do that with, you know, there's ways you can do, you know, ghost adverts and checking the number of prospects that we get. And we already know our internal conversion to let's. So, so those, are, those are some things that we do. It's not just, okay, you know, let's just put an advert on, spare rooms that a lot of people do oh we've had a few we've had a few adverts with other people it's a little bit more you know there's a little bit more methodology to that and then that's reported and then we'll say okay we'll test it and we'll trial it and that's essentially uh, what we'll do for us we're probably i'm making it sound a little bit more relaxed but because we understand our model and we understand our rental once we know the demands there everything else is just built on your you know your standard uh, kpis for for building really have you, have you found more competition for sort of online? You mentioned before about competition and just, just out of interest more than anything else, because I've been looking at an online agent today um, to sell some properties we've got and just kind of popped into my head. But have you found more competition with the online model? Is that kind of creeping into the sector as well? Or is it, is it more your traditional letting agents moving into the co, co-living brand that you put or the HVO market? 
I, I, it's really, really interesting. I think, you know, different areas have got different competitors, but it's that, you know, the majority of the marketing is online, even the, even the offline letting agents are advertising online. So we do a lot of the online assessment. We'll, you know, we'll walk the areas, et cetera, to assess what's been advertised. But, the, you know, the competition is all, you know, I would say it's 90% online. The people who are doing it really well are, are very good on social media and other elements online notice boards etc right okay and in terms of well we're talking obviously about looking at areas and competition and you know when you're looking at a new area what sort of the analysis you do on um the, the area itself how does that differ from the, the properties i mean do you do you approach it from you've seen a really good property and potentially that could be converted and then you start looking at the area or are you very much you know we look at the area then we move into the types of, and is there a particular type of property that you'll aim for and, and target so we do it two ways so we do it from the numbers point so accounts will do it from the total costs you know we assess our total costs against our rent and then we'll look at our return on capital employed over 24 months so like i was saying you know you like the battle versus war you know we look at okay so what's going to happen in the market over 24 months when we do our refinance and get our money out as opposed to just looking at the the you know a lot of people look at the property but what will happen when i refinance we know you always leave money in but we also know what's happening to the values because we're always selling you know, the whole reason we, we don't want to sell at the moment, but the whole reason we're selling out to institutions at the moment, we, we know what, what yield we can sell out at. So, you know, there's those numbers that we look at essentially in terms of build costs against rent and then locate and then marketing will look at location of the building. Can we build a luxury hub property in that area? That's something that I always say. Is that area capable of taking a luxury hub property? So that means the external spec. You know, I'll give you an example. You know, we have outside decking areas, outside heaters. There might be a little, you know, cover. There'll be outside charging points. You know, it's quite high spec and it's yeah. moving up all the time. So will the area meet the criteria of the tenant that we're renting to? And that's, again, you know, tenant demand. Yeah. Um, has to be there in the first place. And will they like the area we go into? So that's key. And those are things that sit above the initial things that we said about, you know, employment in an area and major transport links and competition. Do you, do you ever look, obviously, you know, your experienced developer conversions, et cetera, do you ever look at HMOs? And I know this is something that we find quite often that when people think of uh, HMOs, that they kind of go automatically to a HMO that's converted, one that's done. Okay, it might need a lick of paint, but ultimately it's done, it's converted, it's running. And that seems to be like the go-to, whereas we generally, when we're working with partners, we educate them to look at, okay, if there's one there and it's done and it's and it's operating, why not buy next door, convert it, get the uplift? Do, do you have an approach where will you look at existing HMOs or you're very much, you're looking for that uplift in value and, and to do it to your sort of level and standards to meet the brand? When you say me, because we're so experienced and we've got a full-time build team, we just go from from asset to asset, but looking at, you know, existing units is a really, really good way to reduce your risk. You know, if, you, if you're unsure about it and you want to do it, that's a good way to buy something and then maybe looking at improving it. So, you know, there are times we look at stuff that's been done really, really badly or they've got high voids or they're an, they're an older landlord and they're retiring. You know, we, we get a lot of people, existing HMOs where they've just been run very very badly and you know when you say badly they've not had the reinvestment is that what you class as badly because that, that's one of the biggest downfalls yeah. isn't it? 
totally, totally. They haven't invested in the depreciation. You know, it's like your own house. You know, you can't live in your house for, for 10 years and not expect to do any repairs. And if, if you bought it new, you know, probably when you get to year five, year six, you're starting to have to reinvest. If you bought it old, you're probably investing from day one. Uh, yeah. And that's it because the lack of reinvestment in the in the asset. So yeah, we will look at those definitely and see if we can uplift them. And you build that into your kind of phase and model and, and map in terms of the reinvestment. Uh, you know, as part of the, do you class that as an operational cost or how do you actually map that into your, your strategy? Um, well, so when we're looking at our, you know, the, in terms of KPIs, we'll look at our yield on total development costs. So that's why I said before, without getting too technical, you know, your total costs against your rent, divide one into the other and you've got your yield. When, when we look at that yield, we won't go, wow, great. Okay, so let's say we achieve 14%. So that means cost us 100 grand and we got 14 pounds of rent for every 100 pounds we spent. What yep. we'll do is we'll allocate a percentage of that for reinvestment. And that'll be allocated every year. And what we used to do is we used to wait to deploy it. Now we deploy it all the time. So they'll, they'll, even though your maintenance might only be 2 or 3%, We'll we'll be investing an extra three or four percent, yeah, on top of that, and and that's consistent. So we never get to the point where oh dear, we have to change a boiler, yeah, etc. And that, that's really really important. That's how you maintain it. Most people, when they get to year ten, it's so run down that that their their income's gone down, and they may look to sell it. Where we're continually reinvesting. That's interesting. One of the interesting things that you've just mentioned there is is we have an ongoing battle in uh, the office in terms of. Um, you know, when I look at things and calculate them, I'm always yield, yield, yield. Whereas Chris is always ROI, ROI, and it seems to be a, um, you know, a, a kind of split depending on how long you've been in the business. A lot of people, are, a lot of people who've been doing it for a bit longer, talk more sort of along the the yield general basis as such. Um, so it's quite interesting here here talking about that as well. Going back to the the, the kind of situation we're in now and the whole COVID situation, I know we, we and, and I know we've touched on this uh, before when we've spoken in terms of the last sort of twelve months and the hurdles that you've had, which which is fantastic the way that you've turned them into opportunities. But one of the hurdles, and, and a lot of people are watching this now, are going to be probably facing these hurdles. Is you know how have you found the funding? At, at, given the current circumstances, have you found it more difficult, more challenging? Has your approach changed? Or, you know, given the fact that it's locked down or investors are a little bit scared of what to do and or banks are closing doors or changing rates, how, how have you found it personally from actively um, putting deals together all, over the COVID period? That's a really good one. I mean, when we went through the first, well, not the first, the last correction in, um, Oh, let's talk about the one in the in 2007. So we went through that correction in 2007. That's back in the Northern Rock days of 110% mortgages. And then all of a sudden that's tightened. And then it goes down to, you know, you know, 60%. And then it slowly crept up again. We really, really learned from that. And that's why we've got a strategy where we don't over leverage. It's quite careful. So we'll go to uh, 70% on development and 75% on buy to let. So when I say development, if we're doing a development, an apartment scheme or something, we'll only go at 70. And yep. then we'll go at 75 on the buy to let because we found at the time working with Lloyd's, those were the rates that and they're very, very conservative. And they always said to us, when the market changes, we'll keep those rates. So we thought, well, okay, you know, we've got some of the assets in with some of the more 
boutique lenders who will punch it up at higher higher levels. But we've consistently said, stayed at that. However, assuming we wouldn't have an issue. However, even they've brought down their percentages by about 5% to 65 on development and, and 70 on buy-to-let. So, so what we tend to do is at times like this, we're investing ourselves, but it's a long-term game. You know, the operating revenues are there, the debt serviceability is there, and we know it'll come back. So it's that thing of, okay, it might not be 24 months, it'll be, it'll be 36 months. Now is a great time to get in. You know, if those lenders aren't lending and you've got the capital, it's a great time to get in because you can deploy that capital with lower loan to values. Yeah. Um, and then you can refinance when the market returns and it will return. You know, I think it's going to return quite quickly based on the way the government's um, driving and, and fueling things. So again, I see it as an opportunity. Uh, it's just difficult for people who haven't been in the market. Yeah, and probably some of those guys are listening today and it's probably worth mentioning and touching on that really, isn't it? Because a lot of lenders, it, 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 well, firstly, it's interesting what you say about Lloyds and how they've changed their criteria after such a long period. But, you know, lenders that or investors that are coming into the market now, lenders generally want to see experience, don't they? Or you've got to put a huge amount of money down or have somebody come on board with the property with you, a JV, a partnership, or, you know, there's all kinds of different structures going around the market, generally speaking. But it seems to be lenders across the board have taken a stance that you need to have some kind of investment or buy to let experience before they'll let you take on. I think that's so, so important. They've gone down this route of HMOs is no different from any business and it's taken the banks a long time to treat business. You know, the high street banks say they're closed for lending. They're not. They're They're lending to property businesses that show they've got a team. So they look at you. Have you got a team? Have you got, you know, a marketing department? You know, a, a build department. So, so they're looking at it a little bit more sophisticated. It shouldn't put you off. You just have to have that attitude and, and build that up over time. Or, or like you said, work with the right partners. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast about the HMO market and its changes throughout the years. Please stay tuned for the second part of our podcast series about tricks and tips on how to build a HMO empire. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get all the series. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next one.